0: Welcome everyone who is here in person and all of you who have joined us online today. Thank you for participating with us this morning We're in a series right now that i've called why jesus as we're walking through the gospel of matthew And this morning we're going to be in matthew chapter 12 But I want to begin with this because one thing i've challenged you throughout this series Is that if somebody were to ask you like why jesus in your life? I I would I hope you had I hope you know how you would respond Like you would have some kind of answer to that. Like why are you following jesus today? What would your response be? So I took that challenge seriously in my own life and and I spent time this week just jotting down different stuff, jotting down responses of just what my response is, like why Jesus today? And here's just a few things I was jotting down that I give God thanks for. Here's why I am still following Jesus today. Because God's relentless love continuously tracked me down earlier in my life and would not let me go. Because God's grace swept me up when I was at my lowest. Because the forgiveness of God at the age of 16 became became so real to me, it broke me and released me because it was a power I could not deny. I'm following Jesus today because I had two parents who had me in church every single week growing up. Surrounding me with a support system. It gave me a sense of routine and consistency. They just kept showing up. They kept having us show up. And these things formed me in ways I probably can't even, or I don't even know today. I'm following Jesus today in specific ways because my mom, when I was in elementary school, would put us in an Astro van and would drive all around our town picking up kids from rich neighborhoods, poor neighborhoods, white neighborhoods, brown neighborhoods, black neighborhoods. We would put so many people in our Astro van. Nobody had seatbelts on. We just packed out in the place. But it taught me that there were no borders in the kingdom of God. My dad taught me to love the Bible. My mom taught me how to pray in high school, in our church, we had prayer warriors where the women's ministry, where one woman would adopt a teenager, a student in our ministry. And to this day, I thank God for Cynthia Montana and Liz Moore. And I know there were one or two other women who adopted me. And, and, and right now, like, there are ways God answered those prayers that I probably don't even know. Strongholds that broke in my life because of the prayers those women prayed over me for a full year of, throughout high school. I'm following Jesus in deeper ways today because God has given me a wife, Case who has taught me more about God than anyone I've ever read, any sermon I've ever heard, any person I've ever encountered. Because God has given me two kids and through that, God has used them to teach me about sacrificial love. I'm with Jesus today because in brokenness, there is an abiding presence that will not let me go. That in loneliness, God gives me exactly what I need for that day and in heartache, God provides a medicine of grace that heals me back to adventurous life. And most of all, I'm with Jesus today because of the hope of the resurrection in the empty tomb, which opens my eyes to the story that will conquer every other story and every other narrative in this world. This is why I'm with Jesus, and I could come up with hundreds. I could come up with thousands of these. Like, I could spend a full day, I could probably preach a full sermon where that's all I did. I just try to bear witness to the movement of Jesus in my own life. And this morning, you could, you, maybe you're able to come up with a list of dozens or hundreds. And maybe you're here in this room, maybe you're watching online right now, and maybe you have never chosen to follow Jesus before, and all you need is one reason. And maybe you're here today, and you've chosen to follow Jesus before, and all you need is one reason to call you deeper into faith. And this morning, I want to walk us through Matthew chapter 12. And there are three times where Jesus makes a statement in Matthew chapter 12, I love this statement. Here's what Jesus says three different times. Something greater than that is here. Something greater than that. This has been a way I pray, and I'll share more of it here in a little while. This has become a way I pray, just declaring the greatness of Jesus over whatever circumstance or unhealthy emotion may, be, may, may exist in my life. In Matthew chapter 12, it happens three times. The first time is in Matthew 12, verse 6. And what Jesus says there is something greater than the temple is here. One of the most radical things Jesus says in his ministry. Something greater than the temple is here. In chapter 12, verse 41, Jesus says something greater than Jonah is here. And in verse 42, Jesus says something greater than Solomon is here. Three different times Jesus declares his greatness... And Jesus all three times says something, not someone. So I think Jesus is referring to his own character as well as the movement he has launched, as well as his way of life and the kingdom of God, like all that Jesus is bringing into the world. This is greater than anything you could imagine. Now, Matthew chapter 10 is a chapter full of mission. Jesus talks, he prepares people for mission, he equips them, he launches them. That's Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 11 and 12 are two chapters that are full of stories of people who have observed Jesus, but they have refused to embrace Jesus as the Lord of the world. So they have seen Jesus, heard Jesus, witnessed Jesus do some amazing things, yet they still refuse to embrace him as the Lord of all. And in those two chapters, chapter 11 and 12, at the end of chapter 11, in two weeks, i talked about these three verses. Jesus says this. And two weeks ago when I preached this, these are three verses and I wish you knew how much I want this for all of you. Like I pray this over the Sycamore View Church constantly. These words of Jesus, this invitation of Jesus, have come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These three verses, I want this for you. And this is in the context of religious institutions that are placing heavy burdens upon people and Jesus is telling them that, hey, whoa, whoa, hey, I am here to lighten your load and to give you rest and to give you peace. Who doesn't want a little bit of that, right? Now, here's the thing, though. Jesus is promising peace and rest and inviting people into peace and rest. And as he does this, the people around him, it's almost like their response is, okay, this whole rest thing you're talking about, Jesus, there's a right way to rest and there's a wrong way to rest. So for them... They're processing rest in a certain way. So right after those three verses, you get two stories of Sabbath days. Two stories of the Sabbath, in which two things happen, in which there is confrontation. So whenever you read the Gospels, and you see Jesus and Sabbath day show up together, there's about to be some kind of fight that happens. Chapter 12, verse 1 through 8, here's how it goes. It says this, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, His disciples were hungry, and they began to pick some heads of grain and to eat them. So does that sound like work? They're walking through a field, there's wheat, they reach out their hand, they take the wheat, they eat the wheat. It doesn't sound like much work is being done. They're hungry, they're fulfilling a need. But in verse two, here's what you got: When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, "Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath day." So in verse one, there's the question of, "Is that work or is it not work? Like, can you really do that?" And in verse two, apparently, it's okay not to work, but it is okay to have a cynical heart that is skeptic and super judgy, right? Which sounds a little weird, right? So they're calling out something they see the disciples doing. They are questioning this. In verse 3, it says this. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he's, he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath, or uh, priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple, desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I'll tell you that something greater than the temple is here. That's a bold claim. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is all about interpretation. So my brother, I have a younger brother, and more than my older sister or myself, my younger brother was the one who was always like confronting my parents, right? Confronting sometimes aggressively. and It started at a young age. So the story's told when my brother was three. My sister and I were at school and my mom told my brother to go take a nap. He hated naps, but she wanted him to take daily naps. So he went to the room. A few minutes later, he came out and he stood there in front of my mom and he's like, Mom, I've been thinking in my room and I want to obey the Bible. And my mom was like, Jonathan, I'm so proud of you. Your dad and I, we want you to obey the Bible. And Jonathan said, and I've, and thinking that, Mom, I, I really want to obey God. My mom was like so proud. She was like, I, there's nothing else your dad and I want for you than for you to obey the Bible and to obey God. And Jonathan said, Mom, I don't think anywhere in the Bible it says that kids have to take naps. <laughs> right? <laughs> and my mom, I know in her spirit, like she's probably laughing in her soul, right? But she was like, well, the Bible does say obey your parents, so get in that room and take a nap, Right? <laughs> like there are some things that aren't in the Bible that we treat as if they are in the Bible, and then there are things that are in the Bible, commands that are in the Bible, that you have to take them and think, okay, what is this going to mean for everyday life? And keeping the Sabbath was one of them. Like you can't read the Bible and not come away with how much Sabbath rest means to the heart of God. You can't read the creation story without seeing the importance of rest. You can't read the Exodus story without seeing the importance of rest. So people are commanded, obey the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath, and do not work on it. But then the question is, like, what, what is what's work and what's not work? So on a Sabbath day, if your kids are sick, can you work to help them? If there's a flood outside and water's coming into your house, can you work to keep the water out? So every week they're having to think, okay, what is work and what is not work? So what started as the people of God wanting to honor the heart of God by being obedient to God became a whole list of do's and don'ts. I mean, you'll find some, some uh, groups of the people of God, some Jews who had a whole list of 39 things that, that you could do work. These 39 things, you can do this work and still honor the heart of God on a Sabbath day. And then there are all these lists of things you couldn't do. The group called the Essenes. For them, if an animal fell into a pit on the Sabbath day, you could not get it out. Remember when Jesus, he spoke about this one time. He said, if an animal falls into a pit, who wouldn't get it, get it out? But there was a group who did that. If your animal, if a sheep or your dog fell into a pit, you have to leave it there until after the Sabbath day. Can you imagine how much an animal would be whining in a pit until Sabbath day was over? There were groups that would say that men cannot spit on the ground on the Sabbath day because if they did, their sandal may roll over it and that would be, that would be, working, the to- that would be working the ground. It would be Toil. There are some groups that would say a woman could not look in a mirror on a Sabbath day because if she did, she may see a hair on her face and she may try to pluck it, which means she's working. Like there were a whole list of what is work and what is not work. And it may sound crazy, but it came from a place of people wanting to honor the heart of God, but then it developed into a whole list of do's and don'ts. And when anything becomes a commandment-centered system, it can fail to value people. It can become so much about the do's and don'ts to where kindness and mercy and love are gone. So this past week, I was driving my youngest to work, or to school, sixth grade. I got two middle schoolers now. So True is already at school. I was driving Noah, Noah to the school. And as I'm driving him, I'm known in the morning, I sometimes wake up, and sometimes the energy that I wake up with, it drives my family nuts. So... I take it upon myself every day of my life to try to motivate my family, to, to like embrace the day for all God wants of you that day. And I consider myself a lyricist, so I make up songs every morning, trying to motivate my family, which usually makes them start the day in a place of anger and rage, which is never good. I just consider it a spiritual gift, all right? So I was trying to pump up Noah for this day. And if you know Noah, those of you who know Noah, Noah lives. He, he goes to school so that he can work the hallways and the cafeteria and he is, the, he is a social, I mean, everything. Uh, he would always, I mean, his social life is so important. I know he's smart. He's smart. But when, when it comes to school, Noah's all about the friendships, the, the friends, relationships. So this day, we're driving to school, and I was like, Noah, today, for seven hours, here's my challenge for you. For seven hours, I'm encouraging you today, just today, treat education as if it is more important than friendship. Just today, I want you to study. As if studying and listening is better and more important than relationships in your life. I'm trying to motivate him to do a little better in school that day. And Noah looked at me and almost with this tone was like, really? He's in the passenger seat. Really? So you're telling me that in the Bible, the Bible says that school is more important than friends? Is this what you're telling me? And then he calls out my profession. He's like, so as a preacher, you're telling me that God thinks that me going to school for seven hours a day is more important than trying to be kind to people in my school. He's like questioning my everything I do. And that's where I had no other choice but to let my son out at Walnut Grove in Goodlit so he could walk the next three miles of school, all right? Man, don't don't come at me with that attitude, all right? And then I dropped him off and I just had a laugh in my car. I was like, this week I'm preaching from Matthew 12 where Jesus is telling people to value people. What it means to value people. When you get into a commandment-centered system, sometimes you can forget what it means to value people. You can neglect it. So here are three things I want you to hear from Matthew 12:1 through 8. Here they are. You ready? All right, Jesus defends a practice. And Jesus doesn't always do this. But this time, the Pharisees are questioning Jesus' disciples, and Jesus defends them. Even by loosely interpreting two Old Testament stories, which is what Jesus does. But he defends the practice. Secondly, Jesus actually elevates the law of God. If you want to call it the law of God, the word of God, the Bible, Jesus elevates it. And where I think this is really important is it's possible today for us for some people and some churches to elevate and hold up the law of God the Bible the Word of God and then to neglect mercy and kindness and love and it's possible for some people to elevate love kindness love accepting and to minimize the Word of God Jesus doesn't let that happen Jesus holds up the law of God holds up the Word of God And make sure that people understand that when you hold up the law of God, this needs to be good for all people. Like mercy and value should flow from that place. And thirdly, Jesus makes a bold claim. And his bold claim in verse 6 is something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than the most sacred space that existed then. Something greater than that is here. The mercy is more important than the sacrifice. And that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He makes a bold claim. So you got two chapters. Chapter 11, chapter 12. With people who had seen Jesus do amazing things. Yet were refusing to embrace Jesus as the Lord of everything. So I want to tell you two stories. And I want to end with the very end of chapter 12. Two stories that I want to kind of serve as linchpins. Kind of give you an image. A way to kind of see, I think, the major points that are happening in chapter 12. And both these stories i am told a few years ago, and here's story number one. Story number one is, is that in the Australian outback, there are some people who own so much land that it's near to impossible to put up a barrier around all of it. It's hundreds, thousands of acres. Like it's almost impossible to put up that much barbed wire or some kind of, some kind of boundary or fence. So what they do so that their livestock don't scatter everywhere is they've learned that if they, if they dig a water source that that water source will be for those livestock something that is so precious that they won't stray too far from it because they know they will die so I remembered around 20 years ago, I was reading this in a book on, uh, called The Missional Church in which they shared this idea about the Australian Outback and then talked about what this means for the church and how Jesus set up his kingdom. And in setting up the kingdom, Jesus didn't just set up a boundary around it. Jesus set up a water source himself in the center of everything. And that is our existence, that there needs to be a center. Now, I'm not anti-boundary, and I don't think God is anti-boundary. You need some boundaries in your life, but you can have the best boundaries you could think of and yet not have a center. You can set up boundaries for your life when it comes to righteousness and purity and relationships. You can set up boundaries for your kids, for your marriage. You can set up all these boundaries, yet still not have a center. What Jesus addresses in Matthew chapter 12, he's not anti-boundary. It's not that Jesus is anti-dos and don'ts. It's that there needs to be a center in your life, a water source, a life source, and that that is where you live from. Here's story number two. Uh, And story number two, what is story number two? All right, story number two. I remember I said this a few years ago. And I believe it's the Denver Zoo uh, where this happened. But there was a polar bear exhibit, and they were going to build a better polar bear exhibit. One that was playful, one that gave the polar bear a lot more room to play, so in doing this, they had to put the polar bear in a temporary exhibit while they built a much bigger, more playful one. This is great. And for a few months, that polar bear was in a really small place and all that polar bear had room for was to take three steps and turn around. Three steps and would turn around. So, for months, that was the polar bear's practice. Three steps, turn around. And then the day came that they were going to release the polar bear into this brand new, playful exhibit. Right? And the news crew was there, cameras were on, everybody was excited to see the polar bear take its first steps into this whole little adventure and this place of freedom. And when they released the polar bear, guess what the polar bear did? Three steps, turn around, three steps, turn around. The, the polar bear had like formed. These practices in this new worldview, that's all it had known for months and that was its practice even though it was placed in this brand new place of freedom. In Matthew 12, I want you to think hard that the boundaries in your life are really important. They can be good, but it doesn't matter if there's no center, no source of life. There has to be a center. And you can come up with all these do's and don'ts that narrow our worldview, and God can set us free at all we have done as we've done a three step turnaround. When God is giving this whole world to go and enjoy with God and to live freedom. So here's how Matthew chapter 12 ends it ends in verse 38. It says this, some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they answered Jesus. And some of your Bibles don't say answered, but I think that's important there. Like they're responding to something Jesus had just said. They answered him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, I don't think it's wrong for any of you to ask for a sign from God. For them, it's been two chapters in which they have seen every sign they needed to embrace Jesus as the Lord of their life. Yet they're still asking for something more, another sign... And Jesus answered them, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. And the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. Like Jesus is talking to them as if to say, look, here's Jonah and here's Solomon. Two people. One was a, may not have been a great person, but was an effective preacher. Was very persuasive. You read the book of Jonah. Every single person Jonah preached to repented. 100% response rate solomon one of the wisest people in the bible right people came from all over the world to listen to solomon's wisdom so jesus throws these two people in front of them here's jonah here's solomon two men who are very persuasive very effective in their ministry and it's as if jesus is saying as persuasive as they were if you see somebody step up and talk about the kingdom of god and heal the way i've healed and perform the miracles like is that not enough to persuade you It's almost as if Jesus is saying, you're asking for another sign, but you're failing to see that I am the sign that God has given for you. Like, I'm it. I'm the sign you need. Not just all the things that come from me. It's me. It's not just the benefits of being close to me or having faith. It's having Jesus in your life. This is it. So Matthew chapter 12 is trying to teach us about what it means to value people no matter what and to elevate the law of God and to live lives of freedom and to live from a centered place. So today we're going to walk out of church here in a few minutes. We're going to walk out of this place. We're going to go and we're going to live our lives this week. And there's so much in front of us. And probably most of you are going to get in the car to drive either to a restaurant or drive home. And hopefully when you drive, your face will be up and you're going to be looking out your car And as you do, every once in a while, you're gonna look in that rear view mirror. It's gonna give you perspective, see what's around you. And every Sunday, we pause to look in a rear view mirror. And I know that when we take communion, it's more than just a rear view mirror, but it is reflecting on the past because it transforms our future. There is not a centering moment in the life of the church. To me, that is more valuable than when we take the bread and the cup. So I want to invite you, if you will, just hold the bread and the cup in your hand. Don't take it yet. If you're in person and you did not get the bread and the cup, there are tables out in the foyer. If you have them, I want you to just hold them. If you're online with us, if you have the bread and the cup, you may take it in your hand. If not, just stay in this moment with us for a few minutes. This is the greatest centering moment in our lives. To be reminded of the greatest event that has changed human history. The death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And as we center ourselves today, and I've been doing this every week, I've been placing in front of you a truth or grace and a reach, a truth of just when we, what we have studied. What does it say about Jesus? A grace of just what, whatever it is we're looking at that day. So Matthew chapter 12, is it today? Like how does that call you closer to God and then a reach some kind of challenge? And here, here it is today. The truth is this. Right? Jesus is greater than you could ever imagine. And I don't mean that in some... Trite kind of way. I mean, Jesus is greater than you could ever imagine. Sometimes what's helpful for me in my prayer time is just to name circumstances I'm facing in my life and then declare the greatness of Jesus over them. To name circumstances and challenges and declare Jesus' greatness. The grace is this that Jesus' greatness is an invitation for you. Like Jesus invites you into his greatness. This is not just something you get to experience one day when you die. This is something we get to experience now. Jesus is great. His greatness is an invitation for us to, to step into it, to participate in it. And the reason the challenge is this, that Jesus' greatness, the greatness of Jesus, it should motivate us in all of life. It's a motivator. It prepares us, it equips us. It tells, tells you, you have what it takes this week to make a difference in this world for the sake of the kingdom of God. And nothing centers us and prepares it more. And the bread and the cup. Jesus gave it all. And he's asking us to give this week. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's commit in this moment. Let's give thanks in this moment. I'm going to pray and I'm going to give us a a minute or so of just silence as you take the bread and the cup. For God, uh, this morning as we see things Jesus spoke to Pharisees and things Jesus spoke to the church, I pray that they will sink deep into our hearts and bear bear great fruit this week. Jesus, in this moment, I don't know how you want to do it, how you're going to do it. I just pray for you to set some people free. God, for some of us, we have focused more on boundaries than we have on the center. And may we use this moment to remind us that boundaries matter, but the center matters even more. I pray that you will take that center and make it even deeper in us, God. Invite us into that place. And most of all, in this moment, the only reason we have a center, the only reason we are centered in you is because of what Jesus has done for us. So we give thanks in this moment for the bread, for the cup. We don't know where we'd be without it. So we take this with grateful hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please take the bread and the cup.